Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. When most people get themselves to the gym, they see people working out which might be 80% of everyone that you see at the gym. And then we have 15% of people who work out and they scream and they bang things who are just basically looking for attention. But then we have one to 5% of the people who are doing something unique, something different, something which you probably haven't seen before. We often have the habit of staring at this subset of the population because they bring something different to the game. While most people would call them different, I have found one of those, but instead of calling him different, I would address him as a mad scientist of muscle. Our guest on the show today is special. He studied physical education for five years and has over 10 years of personal training experience. He is an expert in kinesiology, physiology, and anatomy. This makes the guest Nick Nilsson special as he combines his academic background with real-world approach to training and an incredible imagination for designing exercises that the average gym goer honestly hasn't seen before. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the mad scientist of muscle, Nick Nelson. Thanks, CJ. Really good to be on the show here with you. Appreciate the uh, the kind words there. Pleasure to have you on the show, brother. So, Nick, I am so curious. How did you get the title of the mad scientist of muscle? Actually, it's uh, I've had it for about 20 years now, that title. And um, I first started when uh, I was training in regular gyms. I've been training in my, my own home gym in my basement for a while now. But um, a lot of people would see what I, were, what I was doing at the gym and just say, man, that is some serious mad scientist stuff you're doing there. That's just insane what the what you're coming up with. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, like, yeah, that title is just perfect for what I do. Because a lot of all the stuff I do is based on science. It's based on biomechanics, kinesiology. It's very focused on um, scientific principles rather than just throwing together to see what looks good on Instagram or YouTube or what have you. This is stuff that's actually based on real world training that can actually help you and improve your training rather than just look all out there. I would agree with that. And uh, especially looking at your background and looking at the work that you've done, you've run like You've written several books on these topics. How many books have you written? I think it's in the neighborhood of about 23 right now. 23, and this is over the last 20 years? It is, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've got a whole series of unique exercise books, and I've got a bunch of programs and uh, muscle building, fat loss, strength, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And I would love to pick your vein on all of them today on the show so that we can bring value to the audience that is listening and joining us today. So, Nick, you said that you work out in your basement gym. Now, I've seen um, your basement gym on Instagram. It's the same one that you post your stories on Instagram, right? That's exactly right, yeah. Well, I must say that is one hell of a basement gym because it, it is is just so well equipped when did you start working out in the basement gym and why did you um, quit going to a normal gym um, I first started uh, the first basement gym I had was in a, actually in a small town home it was in a 10 by 10 room and literally all I had in that first home gym was a power rack a barbell and some adjustable dumbbells and um, when we moved to another house that's when I opened up the whole basement and took over the whole interior of the basement there and just realized that this is what I want to do I don't want to train in a regular gym because for one thing it's most of the stuff I do is free weight. It's 95% free weight. And um, I don't need to go to a regular gym to have all that. And I also prefer listening to my own music rather than, you know, <laughs> whatever garbage is playing over the loudspeakers. And um, I think one of the primary things, however, is it gives me a real opportunity to uh, experiment where I don't have to worry about if somebody wants to get in on a, a bench that I'm using or what have you. Whereas I can do, if I want to do nothing but bench press for 45 minutes straight, I don't have somebody standing behind me tapping on their watch, you know, are you done yet? Are you done yet? I can actually explore a lot of these uh, things I never really could in a regular gym because there's always somebody waiting to use the equipment. So this uh, allows me a lot more freedom in terms of what I can do in the gym. And it also allows me the opportunity to buy and test a lot of various different pieces of equipment and to see what I can do with them. Um, and honestly, I've, <laughs> I've been kicked out of three different gyms <laughs> for a lot of the stuff that I've done. <laughs> all right. All right. And um, 
I think that's that's a great idea. Last year when the pandemic hit, um, a lot of the people realized that they couldn't go to the gym anymore. And a lot of people started working from home, including myself. I built a small, um, not as great as yours, but like a gym at my house as well. And last year I was using that. And I realized that listening to your own music really makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, big time, big time. So would you... Would you then say that we don't really need fancy training equipment or these fancy gyms to put in the real work and to gain some muscle, lose fat? Absolutely. In fact, I think uh, there's two sides to that coin. In one side, there is value in all the fancy machines in that it can bring people in who might not otherwise be interested in weight training. Uh, there's some people who just don't want to do the heavy weights and the dumbbells and the barbells and stuff, and they want to just sit on a machine and, and do the motions and there's benefit to that. But in terms of really getting it done, as far as building strength, building muscle, you 100% do not need machines. Um, to give you an example, in my basement gym, I think right now I have um, three machines. I have a leg curl machine, a leg extension machine, and a squat machine. And I think I've used each one of those maybe once in the last year. Mm -hmm. Basically, 99% of my training is done just with simple barbells, dumbbells, a bench, and a power rack. And there's just so much you can do with just really simple stuff like that. It's all about using the muscles, um, progressive overload, and basically working at the basic movements to uh, develop strength over time and muscle over time, rather than getting distracted by jumping around to different um, machines. Mm -hmm. Got it. Now, let me ask you the big question, because I'd like to dive straight in. Over the years, what have you found to be one of the best ways to increase muscle? I mean, I want to hear your take on muscle growth, muscle hypertrophy. How do you approach it for your clients? Mm -hmm. The single, single best strategy I have ever found for building muscle is basically taking an approach where you're controlled over training, where you're actually building up your volume over a few-week period. Um, basically, this is known as accumulation and intensification. But the idea mm -hmm. is to ramp yourself up, ramp up your training volume so you're doing a lot more sets with less rest over the course of a few weeks. Usually I go with three to four weeks on that. So you're doing basically more and more work. It's kind of like a car going up a hill where you've got the gas, gas pedal floored. Once you come over the top of the hill, you keep that gas pedal floored. Your body is really, really fighting to keep up with all the training you're doing. So then you go into the next phase called intensification where you reduce the number of sets dramatically, like you cut your sets in half, you increase the rest by two to three times, and you do um, heavier weight. So this is more of a strength phase, but because of all the loading up and the, the uh, ramping up you've done in the previous phase, once you get to this phase, your body is still fighting to keep up with that previous phase and just floors it. And you can really put on some serious muscle mass in a very short period of time by doing this. and. Um, I actually created a program based completely on that concept where you ramp yourself up massively in the first two weeks of the program. And for the next two weeks, you basically cruise and you, you don't really coast, but you build muscle, muscle and strength. And uh, you also tie in nutritional concepts to that as well. And uh, the combination, I've had people gain 10 pounds in the course of just a couple of weeks. When I hear that and when I think of that, one of the traps that I have fell for multiple times especially when i used to train crossfit is and i see a lot um, like highly experienced people fall for this trap as well which is overtraining now we know that overtraining can be really hard in the body right because it can open you up for a high range of injuries you can become too sympathetic nervous system dominant your stress hormones can go up um, it, your insulin levels can be elevated there are just so many things overtraining can also reduce hormones such as testosterone, DHEA. But what you're saying is that when you ramp up your clients um, for this, not the intensification phase, which phase did you say was before intensification? The accumulation. The accumulation. So is there any aspects of overtraining going into this? And honestly, yes, because there's actually two different kinds of overtraining. And the overtraining that most people are familiar with is the chronic overtraining. And that's what you see a lot of CrossFit, at, CrossFit athletes encounter is they ramp up, they ramp up, and they don't ever back off. And they just keep on trying to go up and up and up. And that's where your body continuously is trying to recover. And you get into all those um, 
uh, hormone destroying things, you get into the potential for injuries, you get into so many different negative aspects. What we're looking for here is what's called acute overtraining, which means very short term, very purposeful overtraining, where you're getting up to the point where if you kept on going at that level, you would get into chronic overtraining, but instead you back off. So it's basically you're pushing your body outside the comfort zone and then you're pulling back and you're using like a wave-like pattern where you're pushing yourself hard, you're kind of overreaching is another word for it, and then you're backing off. So you're never going to really achieve your full potential by kind of staying within your limitations. You've got to kind of push forward sometimes, but you don't want to keep pushing forward so much that you get into long-term overtraining because that's when you run into the issues. The goal mm -hmm. is to push forward, achieve a little bit more, and then pull back and let your body kind of ride the wave of all the work you've been doing. And it's a, a much more effective way to go. And it's actually the first time I ever used a program like that it was just kind of really eye-opening because you think, oh, I'm doing less and less, but why am I getting so much stronger here all the time? And your strength just starts shooting through the roof because you're giving your body the chance to recover from the work. And that's what a lot of people miss, especially with CrossFit training. There's nothing inherently wrong with a lot of the CrossFit training people do. What is inherently wrong is that they never back off on it. And, you know, the the rhabdo, the Uncle Rabdo thing where you know, they consider it a badge of honor that you get this muscle destroying issue. Mm -hmm. It's not a badge of honor, it's a badge of stupid. And you would get so much better results by controlling when you push yourself and backing off and then kind of reloading. I would agree as well um, up to a point that it is very necessary for you to dial back on the training, no matter what kind of training you're doing. Because if you're always just going for the next big thing and you don't give your body enough time to rest and recover even your nervous system everything just gets fatigued over time now when you're training your clients what how many days of rest do you schedule per week um it, it really depends on the client it really depends on how much time they have available how what their age is what their training age is meaning how experienced of a, a weight trainer they are uh, there's so many different factors that go into it. Um, depends on their family situation, their job situation. Um, so let's say if someone was listening to the show today and they wanted to start weight training and they wanted to put on a decent amount of muscle in the next three to five months, what would you recommend um, them to do? Would you recommend them to train for four days a week, five days a week? I have seen enough data to show that even training three days a week can increase muscle hypertrophy. I just wanted to get your take on that. Oh, absolutely. And to give you an idea, right now I, I train three days a week. Um, um, I've done four days a week. I've um, And four days is actually what I recommend somebody would start with. Um, I'm doing three days a week right now because I'm doing a lot more heavy training. And I find having the extra days in between to recover is very helpful for what I'm doing. But uh, if I kind of change up my training, then I'll switch to four days a week, depending on my goal. Um, I've gone upwards of 12 times a week. And uh, there was a time when basically I was on vacation for two months. I used to work on cruise ships and I was off the ship for two months and I had nothing really to do but eat, sleep and train. So I was at the gym twice a day, six days a week, mm -hmm. eating a lot, sleeping a lot. And I mean, honestly, if somebody has the time and the recovery ability and the ability to do something like that, that's the gold standard for me as far as building muscle because I gained about 25 solid pounds in six weeks doing that. The last time I remember doing that was when I was 18. And um, I think when I was 18 to 19 for a year, I would just go to the gym two to three times a day. But most of it would be swimming. Some of them would be cardio sessions in the morning and then weight training in the evening. But then as time goes by, you're right. If you cannot match up to those amounts of recovery, then it just doesn't make sense. So how does your training schedule look like these days that you're working out three days a week? Are you, what kind of training uh, pattern are you following? Are you doing um, upper body push pull or something else? It's, it's somewhat similar to that. I'm actually right now in the process of uh, testing out uh, a bench press program that I'm working on. So a lot of my training right now is focused on bench press technique. Uh, so for example, today I'm going to be training and I'm going to be doing um, a very negative eccentric focused work tonight and pretty much all focused on bench press and assistance exercises. Then for example, on Wednesday, I'll switch over to do either like squats, deadlifts, loaded carries, something like that. 
And then probably on Friday, I'll combine and do some more pressing training, testing out some more concepts, and likely adding in some accessory work like shoulders, uh, biceps, triceps, that kind of thing. So for me, it, it really varies greatly depending on the training goal that I'm looking at. And um, right now, I'm finding three days a week is what I need to be, where I need to be in terms of um, my workload, not um, in the gym, but outside the gym. And um, that's why I've structured my training as it has. And about a year ago, I was doing four days a week. My training was focused more on metabolic conditioning. So I was doing um, heavy, light, moderate, heavy kind of thing, and then taking two days off. Mm -hmm. What do you do on your rest days now? Are you scheduling some kind of cardio sessions or are you going for a walk or how does a rest day look for you? Uh, rest days is pretty much, uh, I walk my dogs every single day. So it's, I'm pretty much going, I'm walking two to three miles every single day regardless. But uh, I don't really do anything different or special on rest days. There are things you can do if you want to do that. Like doing light cardio is absolutely uh, a great way to go. And, um, you know, but for me, it's not anything specific i'm not you know training for the olympics or anything like that so i don't have like a, a specific date that i have an event that i need to periodize for so it's mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's kind of where i'm at with rest days uh, i don't find i need to do anything particularly intensive as far as preparing for the next session it's uh it's more just like actual rest doing some walking and stuff like that so. mm -hmm. got that um also a lot of the times i see many people at the gym who are so focused on weight training. And as you mentioned, sometimes we train for four days a week or three days a week. But there are people and probably people listening to this podcast right now who are training on an upwards of five to six days a week, typically the bodybuilding kind of a pattern where you train for five to six days a week and then you have one rest day. But I wanted to get your take on what happens to one's body when they engage in weightlifting for extended periods of time? I mean, what happens in your uh, view to their joints, ligaments, connective tissues? An interesting thing is it, it really depends on the type of training that they're doing. Um, a lot of bodybuilding training is actually not very hard on the joints because it's focused on muscle tension. So it's, um, it's more... Um, if you do too much of it in a row, it's more your muscles aren't going to be able to recover and your nervous system is probably going to start having issues, especially if you train too heavy too frequently. Um, if you're doing a lot of um, strength slash bodybuilding training and you do that too frequently, that's when you can run into more issues. It's uh, the heavier strength stuff that really loads the joints. That can be where you run into um, the joint and connective tissue issues. But if you're doing muscle tension focused um, bodybuilding type of training, you probably get a different set of issues, <laughs> to be honest. Um, the, again, the, the key really comes down to recovery and proper structure of the training. And you can work the, the same muscle group five, six days a week, no problem at all, as long as it's not with too much on each uh, training session. The problem a lot of people run into is that they're doing too much too frequently. So then they get into the overtraining, they get into the muscle damage and the overuse injuries. Whereas if you do maybe two to three sets, five to six times a week of chest, that's not a problem. If you start doing eight to 10, you know, five to six times a week, then you start running into problems. I forget who, um, which journal posted this study, but one of the studies that I looked into for muscle hypertrophy was um, that if you can work out a muscle group three times per week well it doesn't have to be like eight or ten sets but like let's say three sets of bench press three sets of squats but like divided three times per week that can significantly increase muscle hypertrophy yeah, what do you think about it that is, that's 100 percent true and i would actually go even further than that if you can work that muscle group six days a week you're going to get even better results but the key is, again, not doing so many sets that you can't recover from it. Um, I've got um, a specialization training program where I recommend people do one set of one exercise um, twice a day, every single day for months at a time. And the key is you're just doing one set twice a day and that's it. You're not... Um, the, the trouble comes when you beat yourself down too much that you, your body can't recover from it. But if you can 
you know, work yourself enough so that you get a training effect, but not so much that you compromise your recovery. The more frequently you can do that, the faster your results are going to be. And to give you kind of an idea of how that works in reality, I did this technique using handstand push-ups. The very first time I was doing these, I couldn't even get one single rep. I would basically kick up onto a handstand with my feet up against the door and do one eccentric rep, one negative rep. Mm-hmm. I did that first thing in the morning. Then at night, I did the same thing. The next day, I was actually able to get a full rep. And then I did it again in the evening. Now, two months later, I was doing sets of 40. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the power of this technique is over time, every single day with consistent, very high frequency, but very low volume training, you basically train your body to become that function. And so literally after you know two months of this type of training twice a day, every day, one set of handstand pushups, I went from zero to 40 rep sets of handstand pushups. Okay, that's the first thing I'm doing tomorrow morning. I'm going to try these handstand pushups. <laughs> They're, they're literally the best shoulder exercise you can do. And um, mm-hmm. my shoulder press strength went up along with it. I mean, to give you an idea, when I was at the stage where I could do 40 reps of handstand push-ups, I was able to do um, seated dumbbell shoulder press with 100-pound dumbbells. Oh, okay. And that's, yeah, just that's massive. And, yeah, and uh, I don't have really much talent for shoulder exercises. I can still do about 15 reps of handstand push-ups just about any time based on the training that I did years ago. So I still managed to maintain some of it, but um, I had actually repeated the, uh, the training about a year after that. And I managed to get up to a set of 50 handstand pushups, which is, which is crazy. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Wow. Now, when you speak about high frequency and low volume, it also, one of the things that comes to my head with the training experiment that I've done was with the X3 bar. Are you familiar with the X3 bar? It's a set of resistance bar exercises developed by um, a doctor. I forget his name, but um, he's the one who's designed. Basically, it's like an it's a mini version of an Olympic bar, and it comes with um, these resistant bands. And what you do is you do one set to failure every day mm-hmm. of every exercise. So you have a shoulder press, you have a squat, a chest press, tricep, bicep and a row have you heard of anything like this before uh that sounds familiar but uh i'm not uh, placing the, the name of the x-ray machine so. mm-hmm. it's it's quite interesting if i can remember the name of the the guy who did it while we're talking then i'll just shoot it out sure. but one of the things that i was um impressed by i was looking at your content was time volume training method and what it can do to the body so Talk to me about what time volume training is. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, this is one of my very favorite ways to train. And this is a perfect method for total beginners. It's awesome for very advanced trainers. It's awesome for people who used to be into training and are just getting back into it because it basically it auto, auto corrects you every step of the way. Now, it's based on a concept called training density, where instead of uh, focusing on sets and reps, which normal training programs do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But this focuses on how much work you're doing within a specific time frame. So for example, I like to use 15 minute blocks of training. Now, when you're doing time volume training, the goal is to gradually do more work within that 15 minute block of time. So what I have people do is, I'll use bench press as an example here. Let's say you can bench press 150 pounds for 10 reps. That's gonna be your work weight. First set you're going to do is three reps of that weight that you could normally do 10 with. Then you're going to rest 10 seconds, and then you're going to do three more reps, and then you're going to rest 10 seconds and do three more reps. You'll continue this pattern until you get to the point where you would it would start to be tough to get that third rep, where you probably where you're going to get two, but it would be a, a, a challenge to get three. Then instead of changing the weight, you change your rest period. So you go to 20 seconds rest in between sets and you still do three rep sets and you repeat this until you get potentially to the point where you're doing 30 seconds rest or 40 seconds rest. Now, the real key with this one is this is going to tell you exactly when to increase the weight. Because if you're taking a 15 minute block, if you can get one third of the way through on 10 seconds rest, 
then next time you do the workout, you increase the weight. You just earned your ability to increase the weight based on your workout performance. And it's just a strict pass-fail. There's no guesswork involved. It's basically your body telling you what it's ready for. And over time, you gradually increase the weight, which means you're doing more and more work within that same time frame. And your body responds by building muscle. And it does it without nervous system um, overstimulation. It does it without trashing your joints. You're using a very moderate weight. Um, you're using just one weight. There's no weight changes. It's really, really highly effective for building muscle and strength because of the gradual approach it takes and the feedback approach it takes where your body literally tells you when it's ready to increase the weight. Mm -hmm. So on an average, if you're taking the example of a bench press, how many reps would one squeeze in within a 15-minute period? Um, I th probably a couple hundred couple of hundred okay yeah so uh, if you're um, doing three rep sets on 10 seconds rest you're getting probably about 12 reps a minute or so mm -hmm. and then if you do that for if you get through that for 10 minutes you know that's 120 reps right there and you're kind of stretching out the workload a little bit so it, it varies depending on how much um, time you're able to spend at each level but it can be anywhere between 100 to 150 to, to 200 reps of that weight with that exercise. Okay. When I look at 100 or upwards of 100 reps, that also means that the time under tension per rep is significantly increasing than what you would do for a 15 minute um, work period. Because honestly, like you do one set and you rest for like two minutes in the traditional training system. So that was very interesting to me. And so how would you divide that training then? Are you doing chest press for 15 minutes and then are you doing um, some other chest exercise or you're done with the chest exercise because of the volume and now you're moving on to, let's say, back or biceps? Exactly, yeah. You do just one exercise per muscle group and that's it. So you do, for example, like 15 minutes of chest. Then you could do 15 minutes of barbell rows for back. And then for the smaller muscles like biceps, triceps, I knock the uh, time period down to about seven and a half minutes. So it's basically, um, if you get a third of the way, then that's two and a half minutes, five minutes, seven and a half. And basically, you um, do just one exercise during that block of time. And it tells you exactly how long your workout is going to be. So you do 15 minutes chest, 15 back, seven and a half, seven and a half of biceps, triceps. That's 45 minutes of work, and you're done. And whatever time it takes to set up in between. So you'll know exactly how long your training is going to be. So there's no uh, guesswork involved in that at all. And it's just one exercise per group. Um, there's different variations of time volume training that I work with uh, where you can actually combine, for example, alternating sets of back and chest um, antagonistic time volume training where you could do a bench press and a chin-up alternating between the two exercises. Um, that's a phenomenal way to do it. Um, you can do uh, compound isolation time volume training where you're alternating three reps of bench press and then three reps of dumbbell flies, for example. So and are you resting between them? Like, um, or are you going one exercise till the other? You're resting. So you would do like three reps, bench, 10 seconds, 10 seconds, and then three reps, flies, 10 seconds, etc. All right. Perfect. Sounds, sounds interesting. I should try that very soon. Um, and what are some of the other ways apart from training that you've seen to increase muscle? Have you ever looked into, um, the other side of the equation, modulation of certain um, gene expressions like myostatin, activin A, things like that. Um, honestly, I haven't really delved into that too much. Um, my primary focus is probably 90% on the training side of things and the other 10% on nutritional and supplementation. So that's kind of more where my focus is. I use the nutrition, the supplementation to augment the results I get from the training that I put together. That's really where my interest lies. So that's kind of what I've stuck with. All right. So you've been into the exercise and fitness industry for a while. And I'm sure like, like you mentioned, you've tried few nutrition protocols. Now there can be a lot of confusion when it comes to dietary approaches. We have paleo, keto, carnivore, and then all of them have some serious scientific data behind them. What's your opinion on diets? And then also talk about your starting Monday diet. Sure, yeah. Basically, what I find is a lot of people, um, unfortunately, start to define themselves by their diet, where it becomes a part of who they are. 
where they introduce themselves by saying, hey, I'm blah, 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 and I'm paleo. It's like, <laughs> you know, what does it matter what you're eating? Nobody cares. But mm -hmm. what happens, the problem becomes where when people define themselves by how they eat, and especially if that eating and nutritional method is very restrictive and eliminates entire food groups, you can start to run into issues in the long term. For example, uh, keto diets, great for short-term fat loss and short-term use, but because of how restrictive they are, you can end up with nutritional deficiencies. And it's the same thing with vegetarian diets. It's the same thing with the carnivore diet where you're eating nothing but meat. Anything that's so unbalanced over long periods can have uh, some serious issues. And that's kind of where I went with the starting Monday diet that, that you mentioned there is I actually incorporate all these different types of diets into a single week. So you're getting the benefits of each of these different types of eating while minimizing the negatives of each type of eating. So you're, you're basically um, getting the benefits of a keto slash low carb diet where your body learns how to burn fat more effectively. And then you're getting the benefits of intermittent fasting because that's incorporated in. Then you're also getting the benefits of a very low fat, high protein approach. Then you're also getting the benefits of refeeding the carbs, which is one of the big benefits of low carb eating is putting the carbs back in. That's when you get a massive um, insulin response, which is a highly anabolic environment for your body to be in. So with an approach like this, where you're rotating through a variety of different approaches, a cyclical approach, um, you can actually get the best of almost all worlds in one while keeping your sanity and you know having the ability to be more free with your eating during certain periods of the week. So for example, the primary reason I put this diet together is psychology. When people are eating um, a very restricted diet program during the week, the five days of the weekdays, the uh, compliance with that is very good. People can be very strict and uh, enjoy being strict with that and they can follow a dietary program quite well during the five days of the week. When they start to get into the weekends, that's what tends to ruin people is they say, oh, I, I don't want to be on a diet anymore. I want to go you know, have dinner with friends or whatever. So they do and they end up way overeating and blowing it and feeling really guilty about it and basically messing themselves up psychologically. So with the starting Monday diet, I actually incorporate those weekend you know, cheat meals or you know refeeding meals on purpose. So you're not actually, by doing these, you're not actually breaking the diet, you're actually following the diet. So there's no psychological damage involved, so to speak. And then you start again on Monday. So every Monday you start again. And that's the pattern where it really fits in with how people already kind of want to eat and do eat and tend to screw up when they're on another kind of diet. So it works with all that, puts it together in the strategy and makes it official. Like this is what you're supposed to be doing. So there's no guilt involved with their eating patterns. And it really helps people kind of get around that whole stigma of being on a diet where it's like, okay, and now I can go out for dinner with my friends. That's no problem. But I can also be strict during the week. And, you know, this program works with me on that. And it allows me to do that without uh, feeling like I'm deprived all the time. So then are you shuffling through um, a low carb day on one day and then you're going high fat on one day and then high protein on one day or low protein on one day? Is it like all the days of the week have a certain um, type of diet onto it? Or is it, are you shuffling it, through, shuffling it through the day? So let's say, for example, someone would have had um, dinner by nine and then they have like a 16 hour fast and then they probably have a low carb meal in the afternoon, which keeps their insulin low. And then in the evening, you refeed them with a little bit of carbs, which again is good for serotonin response, good for melatonin in the night and things like that. It's uh, along that line, actually. Yeah. And um, I'll actually give you the entire rundown of the structure of this here. Um, Monday, you're doing low carb. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, you're doing low carb again. So putting these two days together like that gives your body enough time to clear out the stored glycogen. So you're getting into the benefits of the ketosis, not really deep into it, but you're starting to get into there. Mm -hmm. Between Tuesday night and Wednesday night, you don't eat anything. So it's a 24-hour fast. Okay. And during this 24-hour fast, and obviously we've cleared out the carbs, so 
that's when you start to get into some real like ketosis and fat burning at that period of time. On Wednesday night, there's two approaches I've taken. The one I prefer is to do a very low, almost zero fat, almost zero protein meal, basically eating nothing but carbs. And it okay. sounds really, really weird to do. Um, I've also had people who can't handle that and feel like they need a, a protein source. And in that case, I say take a very lean protein source and add that into your very uh, lean carb source and make it a zero fat meal, but lean protein and lean carbs. For example, like chicken breasts and plain rice. Mm -hmm. But you get to eat as many carbs as you want that night, literally as much as you can stuff yourself and, full of. And sorry to interrupt, but is there a reason why you are um, overfeeding them with carbs at this point? Absolutely, yeah. Because you've uh, taken carbs out for such a long period of time, well, not long period, but three days, yeah. your glycogen stores are completely empty. And mm -hmm. your body, it takes about five to seven days before you really do notice any metabolic slowdown from uh, low-carb eating. But this refeed of carbs helps kind of stop that process and kick it back up. So it kicks your metabolism back up. As well, when you put the carbs back in, it's better for weight training, meaning you have more fast energy available. Um, there's actually a, a bunch of reasons here. I'll <laughs> tick them off as I go through here. Basically, um, the other thing is the glycogen rebuilding process takes energy. So even though you're putting in all these carbs, your body actually has to expend energy in order to process all these carbs and to create glycogen. So it's actually a fairly energy intensive process. Mm -hmm. And when you eat a lot of carbs after being on low carb, it almost feels like you're having a workout. Your heart rate goes up and you're digesting yep. and it's your body working. So it's crazy to think, but you're actually, you know, in a weird way doing like a cardio workout by eating a whole pile of carbs. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of a weird way to look at um, carbs being functional like that, but um, they are. And the other benefit of this is by refeeding the carbs like this, your, um, your body has the gly glycogen stores available. So every single carb that you eat has zero chance of being restored again as fat. This is the perfect time to eat carbs with very little fat because your body's not, your body's going to use that insulin response, but it's not going to pull in any fat with it. So you're basically going to be, have the zero chance of storing f body fat by eating as many carbs as you want. It's a great psychological uh, tool to use for people who don't like being on diets because you're like, okay, now you can literally eat as much pasta as you want. You just can't eat all the, the fat with it. You know, don't eat the protein with it. Just eat as much pasta as you want. And to tell somebody who's on a diet that they can literally eat as many carbs as they want is very liberating. It's very freeing mentally. And then that resets them for going right back to low carb eating on Thursday and Friday. So they're like, in a, they're back in a good place where they can get through the rest of the week without any problems, without any issues. Like now they feel like they have to binge on something terrible. Then you get into the weekend and um, you can do on, on at least one of these two days, you're going to be doing another 24 hour fast. And on one of the days you're going to have like a, a moderate, small to moderate breakfast not huge, but just a little something, or you can fast both days. And then on again, on one of those two days, you can have a big cheat meal of whatever you want, literally anything you want. Mm -hmm. And, um, the other meal you, you can have again, almost whatever you want, but it should be like a healthy meal that doesn't have any restrictions as far as what you can combine. So it could be something like a shepherd's pie where you're eating potatoes, ground beef and vegetables. That's a good example of a, more of a free meal. Um, a cheat meal might be a giant fat greasy pizza with ice cream for dessert, that kind of thing. And then now I get more perspective on it. Yeah. And then once your Sunday meal is done and you only have one cheat meal, you don't spend the whole weekend binging on stuff. That's where a lot of people really go wrong with uh, blowing their diet on the weekends is they don't, they say, oh, I screwed up one meal. I guess I'll just screw up the rest of the weekend to heck with it. And I'll start again on Monday. This one is just, you do have one meal, but it's just one meal. You don't do eat like that all day. So you have that one meal. And then as the title of the book says, you start again on Monday. It's you restart the process on Monday, just like your, um, the Etch-a-Sketch kind of <laughs> school of thought where it's like you, you erase all the, the, everything that happened the last week and you start again on Monday. I like how you've built a lot of psychology into it because I've been dieting for more than 10 or 15 years. I had some issues when I was growing up with weight. And one of the things that I can tell everyone right now is that if 
you've been dieting for more than four or five days, your willpower on the fifth day is, is not there anymore because will, your willpower just eventually goes down. But what Nick has done here is that after going low carb and then just fasting for a day, you are looking for that big carb day at the end of your third day. So that is still where you have some willpower. So good good on you, Nick. I now understand the psychology behind it. It, it is powerful. Yeah, and it's literally it's a, one of the best ways to make sure you stick with a diet is to have rewards built into it and to know exactly what's coming. And it's like you said, you know, you're doing three days of low carb, you've got a, a fasting day, but you're like, okay, but I got, I can look forward to this big meal full of carbs and I know it's actually going to benefit me. It's not going to hurt me. It's actually going to benefit me. So not only can I look forward to eating all these carbs, but I know this is going to help me. So just having that, not only you're, you're never more than a few days away from eating a lot of whatever you want, essentially, you're basically reinforcing that pattern with uh, results. And that it by itself is very powerful when it comes to just motivation and drive and just not eating on those fasting days. Now, there have also been in the fitness industry a lot of arguments if one can lose fat and build muscle simultaneously. This is one of the questions that I keep getting all the time. And typically, this comes from a thought perspective that in order to gain muscle, you need an excess amount of calories or caloric surplus. And to lose fat, you need to be on a calorie-restrictive diet. I personally don't buy this so much, but I wanted to get your take on this because this is one of the most common questions I've always got. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And uh, to be honest, you absolutely can lose fat and build muscle at the same time. It is uh, 100% possible. Um, it's easier to do when you're more of a beginner. Um, it is still possible even when you're an advanced trainer as long as you kind of know how to do it. Um, when you're first starting out, your body is making a lot of big changes in that time. So it's uh, especially if you start to like clean up your diet and you start eating better and you start weight training, there's a lot of magic that happens. You may not see anything on the scale changing, but internally your body is using it, burning up that fat. It's building muscle because it's it has to because you're hitting it with a new training stimulus and something it's not used to. So the earlier in your training career, the easier that process is. As you kind of progress forward over five to six months, that process stabilizes. And to some extent, it is then true that if you do want to build massive muscle, you do need to go into the overload, into the excess of calories. And if you want to lose fat, you have to go into the deficit. So um, if you want to do either one of those the fastest way possible, you need to target what works for those the fastest way possible. But if you want to um, do both at the same time, it is possible. And you want to eat approximately your maintenance level of calories, use exercise and weight training to get the training stimulus to build muscle, give your body enough protein, but not so much calories that you start to gain fat. Um, it is possible for your body to use body fat as fuel to for the muscle building process. That is something that does occur. So if you have a strong enough training stimulus for building muscle, your body will require and use up body fat for energy to fuel that muscle building process. So that can actually happen. And that's basically how the process of doing both at the same time works. Thank you for saying that, because honestly, um, I'm, I've been trying to explain this to a lot of my friends and people who keep asking me this. And it always like is a big confusion because most of the people were always talk about the law of thermodynamics, which um, is like the conversion of energy. And they're like, Oh, you know, the energy has to go somewhere. So it might just the, all this energy might just go in storing fat, but you put it really well. Um, and I would also like to add that also when we have excess of calories that are coming in, our bodies are also, if you have the right stimulus, like you mentioned, and your training is on point, then those calories are also partitioned towards either building muscle or storing fat. So it doesn't happen that all of those calories would either go towards building muscle or just all towards fat. They are independently um, targeted towards different things, given your training stimulus and then given the right amount of amino acid availability um, and even the 
bioavailability of those amino acids because you could eat tofu at the same time that you're training and it's not going to give you much of results but if you eat something like a steak or eggs with the right balance of um you know the right fatty acids which also elicit a higher hormone response that would give you a better muscle um muscle boost as well as lowering a little bit of your fat yeah absolutely protein quality is is huge and nutrition quality is huge and like i said with a something like a soy protein it's not terrible but it's not as complete as um, an animal protein or an egg protein for example a whole eggs um i eat half a dozen whole eggs every single day and that's uh a staple of my diet and it's really one of the best sources of nutrition you can get is whole eggs uh, the egg whites are good for protein they're not as complete as um eating the yolk as well and uh, that's honestly one of my uh nutritional tricks is you know whole eggs every single day i'm a big fan of whole eggs too but are you having are you um cooking these eggs or are you having any part of them raw Oh, cooking them, yeah, definitely. Um, I like them over easy, scrambled, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I see the uh, there is people who like to eat them raw, or are people who like to eat them raw. Um, there is there's two issues with that. One is um, bacteria. Um, that's not as big of an issue as it used to be prior. But um, one of the other issues is there is a, an enzyme that actually blocks the absorption of uh, unheated egg protein, um, avidin, I believe it's called. And you need that's egg to, white, right? Uh, correct. Yeah. And, yeah. And you need to actually heat the egg whites in order to break down this enzyme so that you can act, your body can actually use this protein. So you can be drinking all these uh, bra eggs and not getting a whole lot out of it mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you need to heat them up enough to, to break down that enzyme, to make them bioavailable. Correct. Give us some of your tricks or tips to the audience to lose fat. We've been talking about muscle, but let's look at the other side of the equation. What are some of your tricks that you've discovered that can help lose fat easily? One of the biggest tricks that I uh, found many years ago actually is um, lactic acid training. And it's one of the, uh, if you have stubborn fat pockets, it's one of the best ways to uh, get those to disappear, essentially. Uh, what lactic acid training does, and, and this is, um, I'll clarify what it is first before I tell you what it's exactly good for. Mm -hmm. Lactic acid training is basically going for the burn, getting as much lactic acid into your muscles as possible. Um, there's a, a lot of ways to do this. My favorite way to do this is to do one set, for example, uh, with a lot of reps, 20 to 30 reps, focusing on just maintaining tension in the muscle, never fully locking out and never really pausing. So you're doing a lot of muscle action. Um, another good example of this is getting on a stationary bike and doing a stationary bike sprint for like 40 seconds to a minute as hard as you can under heavy resistance. That's going to crank up the lactic acid. What accumulation of lactic acid does for your body is cause it to simulate, um, sorry, secrete growth hormone. And growth hormone is what helps to unlock the fat cells, especially those stubborn fat cells. So, because in order to burn fat, your body needs to first get that fat to release from the fat cells. Then it can burn the fatty acids. If you get them to release, but you don't burn them, your body can just uh, take them right back up and put them back in storage. By using something like this, you do lactic acid training, you get the growth hormone to release the fat. And then the training as you continue with more of these sets is to burn the fatty acids that are now circulating. And um, this is kind of a workout where you get the, the growth hormone and then you do some light cardio as a finisher. Um, one of my favorite ways to train is for fat losses to do that where, for example, I'll do a set of uh, squats, 20 rep sets, rest 20 seconds, and you're not doing heavy weight here, you're resting 20 seconds, and then you're doing as many more reps as you can, resting 20 seconds, then as many more reps as you can. So a weight you could probably get 20 to 30 reps with by the time you're done, eight to 10 of these uh, sets like this, you're getting maybe three to four reps because the burn is just too much and the lactic acid is shutting your body down. Mm -hmm. You do this and then you finish your workout with 10 minutes of light cardio to burn off those fatty acids that have been released from your fat cells. And uh, this combination is really effective for uh, targeting stubborn body fat. Okay, I've never thought of it that way. I've used in the past blood flow restriction training 
and that um, also accumulates a lot of lactic acid. But I never knew about this part about growth hormone um, opening up the fat cells. Have you tried blood flow restriction training? I have, yeah. It's very effective stuff, and it's a great way to do. Uh, obviously, it's restricted to the limbs. You can't really do it so much with uh, chest and back, but for biceps, triceps, uh, quads, hamstrings, calves, it can be very good. And yeah, it also produces such a huge amount of growth hormone. It also turns down myostatin and these other um, hormones that once you turn down, you have these surge of anabolic hormones even after the workout. And the good part about that is you don't even need to use so much of weight. Even with lighter weights, you're good to go. Absolutely, yeah. Right, perfect. So tell us how does a day in your life look like, especially when you're training? What are you, are you doing some kind of like crazy biohacks? Are you doing some other science stuff? Like give us a rundown of how your day looks like. Sure. Um, it's pretty straightforward, actually. I, I eat two meals a day. I, uh, I would get up and I would probably have a few supplements and then I would go walk my dogs and then have breakfast, which is like half a dozen eggs with some chia seeds. And then I'm primarily working during the day. So this gives me, uh, you know, about six hours of work. And uh, during this time, I'm not eating anything. So I, I'm just having the breakfast. And then post-workout meal is my bigger meal of the day. So I train probably around around 4 or 4.30. And um, as far as biohacks, I, I don't really do a whole lot for that, to be honest. Um, it depends on the training that I'm doing. I'm going back to fat loss. One, actually, I will tell you about a great biohack that uh, will kind of—it's kind of mind blowing, actually. But it's incredibly effective. Um, if I'm training for fat loss, what I'll do is something called oil pulling, mm -hmm. where you will take um, a table, a teaspoon of um, an oil. I use uh, coconut oil, so I'll just take a, a teaspoon of that and swish it around in my mouth for about uh, five to 10 minutes. Um, you, you don't want to swallow it. You just swish it around and let the fat sit in your mouth. What this does, and um, I wish I could find the research paper on it, which uh, led me to uh, this technique. But what this presence of fat in your mouth does is cause your body to open up the fat cells and release fatty acids into your bloodstream, similar to what I was talking about with the growth hormone. So instead of with normal fat loss training, where it takes a period of time before your body starts to understand it needs to open up the fat cells and get some of those fatty acids circulating, this actually does it before you even start training. So everything you do in your training program is burning more fat. Interesting. And you would do this right before a workout? Because I've really? used oil pulling in the past, but I've used it for more of the oral, um, oral health and hygienic point of view which comes from ancient ayurveda and this is something that i've been doing like early in the morning let's say absolutely do it pre-workout next time you will notice a difference in your energy levels because it literally does it's i've done it for the uh the oral hygiene benefits as well the uh, oil pulling for the purpose of opening up the fatty acid uh, to release into your bloodstream is perfect for this uh, kind of training and i like to do it especially when i'm doing like a low carb kind of diet if I ever feel like I'm dragging during the day, rather than popping some caffeine, put a little oil in your mouth and swish it around. Your body releases fatty acids into the bloodstream, which is then energy for you to use. So it's a... It's, That's a I mean, pretty biohack out there. It's, it's a heck of a hack, and it's really effective. Um, I've tested it on a few people, and I said, you know, try this and tell me if you feel your energy levels coming up. And they said, every single time without fail, the person has said yes. It's not like a, a wired energy, like caffeinated energy. It's just like a suddenly you feel brighter, like you have mm -hmm. a bit more energy. And uh, that's one of the benefits of doing oil pulling first thing in the morning. It's also a good way to kind of wake up your body. But if you do it right before you go for a workout, especially a fat loss oriented workout, it's going to make that workout even more effective for burning fat. Now, thanks for sharing that with us. I think um, the audience will find that very valuable. Now, Nick. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, like let's say if you could, are you around 40 something now? You're 46? 47, yeah. 47, okay. So let's say if you had to go back and talk to your 30-year-old self and uh, you had to give him uh, one piece of advice, information, hack, 
what would you tell him? Um, I would say start doing loaded carries. It's, it's a weird kind of thing. I started doing them probably about 10 years ago. So, you know, not too far off the 30s, but even going back into my 20s, if I would have started doing a lot of stuff that I do now back in my 20s, it would have been even more um, uh, powerful as, as the stuff that I would be able to do now. Uh, loaded carries, which is like a farmer's walk, which is like a carrying something on your back. Yoke carries. There's so many different carries that you can do, but it's literally some of the most powerful training you can do for your whole entire body all at once because it involves so many different muscle groups. It uh, One of the big benefits I find is that it compresses everything and it forces your body to function under load. And um, this kind of creates, especially when you do multiple sets, it creates like a hydraulic action in your entire body, which helps circulate the lymph through your body much more effectively than even something like rebounding on a trampoline because of that compression and the decompression that you get when you're um, moving loads like that. It's literally, if there was only one exercise I could do, it would be some form of loaded carries. I wouldn't even include squats or deadlifts in it. It would be loaded carries. And that's just how powerful that kind of training really is. This is the first time I've ever heard someone say something like that. So that must be super powerful. And when you talk about loaded carries, then what kind of weight range are we talking about? Is it like something really heavy that you're struggling to move around or something heavy enough but comfortable to for you to take 10 steps? Oh, absolutely. And you would actually, I use every single amount. For example, one of the best things I do is long distance loaded carries where I'll carry um, a weight for like two miles. Mm -hmm. and, um, actually, one of the, a couple of the craziest things I've ever done, I'll give you kind of a rundown, is uh, I did a, a 500 pound yoke bar carry, which is the bar that has like a safety squat bar that sits on your back and the shoulders. Um, I carried 500 pounds for a mile. Wow. Which okay. Uh, one, basically one and a half kilometers essentially kilometers how long did that take you it took me three hours wow yeah i did a youtube video of it and uh yeah it uh that was that really uh that was that was tough that was really tough but uh it was incredible training and uh, within a few months of doing that after i kind of progressed to shorter and heavier carries i actually the heaviest carry I've ever done in my life where I carried uh, 850 pounds for about uh, 13 steps. Okay. Wow. And are you, um, is it according to like, let's say talk about safety, right? Having so much of weight on your body and then moving and trying to microbalance everything, is it safe for your back? It is as long as you don't jump into the super heavy weights right away. Okay, so you have yeah. to build it over time. Exactly. It, it's just like anything, only like even more so, is you need to condition, condition your body to uh, function under load. And it's more important because you're moving at the same time. And, um, you know, doing a farmer's carry, for example, carrying a, a pair of heavy dumbbells and walking is one of the best ways to start with loaded carries. Uh, a pair of kettlebells, even better. But essentially just carrying something for a distance and walking and moving and that dynamic balance, every step you take is challenging um, every aspect of your, your core, your back, your spine, everything. And as long as you can maintain good mechanics, then you can go up and wait. And over time, you can build up to some pretty incredibly heavy weights. Like I, I regularly, you know, at 47, I carry, do farmer's walk carries with 600, 650, 700 pounds regularly oh that's impressive okay so everyone who's listening to this tomorrow morning when you go to the gym make sure you do your loaded carries but don't rush into it take your time and you will see all the benefits now nick it's been such a pleasure talking to you and i really appreciate all the things that you've done all the contributions you've made into the fitness and the health industry and thanks for constantly creating content around better and more efficient ways to work out your books are i would recommend everyone to check his books out because he's got a book on every topic for muscle building for fat loss for dieting all these different techniques that we've just been speaking about you'll get it all detailed in his book now if someone wants to find you or get in touch with you what's the best way to get in touch with you the best way would be go to my website madscientistofmuscle.com 
and uh, on that site, I've got a whole bunch of uh, exercises, workouts, programs. Um, I've got links to um, Facebook, um, Instagram, um, email, all that. So um, if you go to that website, there's plenty of options for uh, getting in touch. But uh, at that website, there's a ton of great information as far as unique movements and exercises and workouts. Okay, so you heard that, guys. Matt, scientist of muscle. Check that website out. Get in touch with Nick, if you want him to share any of his programs with you. And Nick, you're doing coaching as well? Um, I actually don't do coaching. Uh, no, you're not doing coaching. Okay. No, yeah. I focus primarily on uh, creating stuff and creating programs to uh, reach as many people as possible. So. Okay. So you can get all of Nick's knowledge in his books. So check that out. And this is CJ signing off from Shift with CJ podcast. Nick, it was a pleasure talking to you and you have a great day ahead of you. Thanks, CJ. I appreciate it. Thanks. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.